This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 25, Space Dandy, Intergalactic Booty Hunting, baby! Fans, Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining us this week is Tim the Otaku Jock. Greetings once again. And Jordan. Good to be back. And this week we are going to be talking about the wildest, craziest, dandiest anime of the 2010s. We are, of course, talking about Space Dandy, released in 2014 by Studio Bones, with the first core coming out in the very first week of January, and the second core coming out, I believe, in either July or September, sometime in between that time period, running for a total of 26 episodes. Now, the main director of this show was Shinichiro Watanabe, and... For those who live under a rock, Shinichiro Watanabe is one of anime's most celebrated directors, at least in the modern era. He, of course, is famous for directing Cowboy Bebop and would go on to direct Samurai Champloo, Kids on the Slope, Carolyn Tuesday. Uh, he also did Terror and Resonance, which um, I'm told is his weakest work, but I haven't seen it, so I can't judge it yet. But he was the chief director, meaning that he oversaw the project. The actual director, the man who drove it, is a man named Shingo Natsume. Now, do any of you guys know who that is? Not offhand. No idea. Well, Shingo Natsume is a very famous animator. Anybody who's in the Sakuga community will know him by a first name basis. Shingo Natsume cut his teeth in animation, and he would direct Space Dandy the following year? He would direct one of the biggest anime of 2015, One Punch Man. Since then, he's gone on to direct critically acclaimed works like Akka 13, Sunny Boy, and he is currently directing Tatami Time Machine Blues. Now, we've got the chief director and the main director, and each episode of Space Dandy has its own different director, but if I were to list them, we'd be here all day. The show also had numerous writers, including Kimiko Ueno, who wrote a bunch of movies for Crayon Shinchan, and would go on to write The Royal Tutor, and is currently writing Yurei Deko. We also have Watanabe alumni Dai Sato, who wrote episodes for Cowboy Bebop, Wolf's Reign, and was chief writer on Eureka 7 and Ergo Proxy, and since then really hasn't written much of note unless you like things such as Dai Shogun, Great Revolution, Listeners, and Tekken Blood Vengeance. We also have the late, great Keiko Nobumoto on board for the show. She was the head writer on Cowboy Bebop, Wolf's Reign, and Tokyo Godfathers. And other episodes were written by Science Saru founders Masaki Iwasa and Young Young Choi. That's the staff out of the way. What is Space Dandy about? Well, you could say that Space Dandy is at the very least influenced by Cowboy Bebop because what it is is basically this guy, you know, just cruising around space trying to find uh, rare and exotic aliens so that they can get registered and he can collect a bounty on them. And, you know, these could be just about anything. I mean, they go anywhere. They, uh... A search for anything, and it's basically, you know, the main character is a guy who just flies by the seat of his pants and lets, uh, lets whatever happens happen. I see what you did there, Tim. There you go. <laughs> uh, I would describe it as three idiots terrible at their job in space. So pretty much retail in space. <laughs> that's uh, That's actually pretty accurate to it as well. 
Now, I'm assuming that we all heard about Space Dandy through the same place. And that was through Anime News Network. Because that's when I first caught wind of it. That Shinichiro Watanabe was heading up a new project. That it was going to be another sci-fi show. And they made a big deal about Space Dandy at the time. Funimation and Bones were hyping this thing to be a mega hit in the West. Sorry, again, I'm, I'm, I got butterflies in my stomach. It was promoted to hell and back, plastered over all sorts of websites. It got the much-coveted Toonami time slot on Saturday nights. And it was one of the rare cases where the dub came out before the Japanese version. Like, the dub for Space Dandy aired a few days before the subversion in Japan. This thing had all the momentum behind it, and in the end, it just sort of came and went, and we'll elaborate on that once we get into the meat of the show. But I, like so many others, watched a few episodes, and then I just forgot about it. I don't remember what my impressions of it, but I didn't want to say I wasn't impressed by it, but I just kind of felt it would be a little more. And that's what I think a lot of people thought of it. But what were your impressions of Space Dandy when you first watched it? And did you watch it when it was first airing? Because I did too. Well, I'll go ahead and uh, uh, take that. I, I followed this thing up through and including watching it when it first came out. I pretty much watched uh, the whole series on Toonami when it came out. Although I may have missed a couple episodes here and there. But again, I rewatched the series before it came here. But I, I, I kind of agree that there was this feeling that maybe this was supposed to be maybe this felt like it needed to be a little more although not to say that it's bad by any stretch of the of the imagination i mean it was really good and especially you know given that it was you know spearheading tsunami at that point like this was still when the new uh tsunami block was still relatively young and hadn't hadn't really found its footing um on uh, on cartoon network just yet like i think this was either right before or right after like they started showing Attack on Titan or Sword Art Online, which I consider those two to have been like uh, the big shows that kind of really solidified the new Toonami block. But I do agree with you in feeling like maybe a little bit underwhelming, but still a damn good series all told. Yeah, I remember watching it uh, when it first aired on Toonami, and I got a few episodes in. I kept up with it for a little bit, but... Unfortunately, I just I thought better shows came out in the same time frame, so I just lost interest in it, unfortunately. I was sort of the same way. I got up to, like, episode 7, and then I just forgot about it. I would always just say, eh, I'll finish the show when it's done airing, or I get it on home video. And, well, I never did finish it until I had to watch it for this recording. But honestly, I am so glad that I did finish it because I love Space Dandy and I regret doubting it and its potential. Because once you understand what Space Dandy is going for, you really learn to appreciate all of its wackiness. Oh, I agree 100%. Uh, looks like I'm in the minority here. I actually ended up thinking the show was incredibly just mid yeah, well, we'll discuss that once we uh, get into the ins and outs of it. But let's start where we always start with animation. And, um, wow. Just wow. Space Dandy looks gorgeous. I mean, it's Studio Bones. Did you expect anything different, you know? Yeah, but even then, a sci-fi series like this, like, the animation is immediately eye-catching and there's just always so much that's going on in any given frame especially when you get like you know tons of aliens on the screen at the same time it's just tremendously well done i mean it's just also really charming like it's a lot like a saturday morning american cartoon well there's a reason why it looks so great and that's simply because the amount of talent they had i don't know what this show's budget was it had to have been higher than your average production but 
my lord in heaven. If you want to waste an afternoon, go and read the Anime News Network page for Space Dandy and go through every single staff member and look at what they worked on. You'll be like, oh my god, they worked on that thing, or oh my god, that was them? Like, if you want, just go to Sakagaburo and look up Space Dandy. You will find pages upon pages of cuts upon cuts from certain animators who worked on this show that were either up-and-coming animators or longtime veterans. Mike Toole compiled a whole article about the animators of Space Dandy, just listing off all of the big animators that worked on this show and all of their previous credits. And leave it to him to leave it to him to put in the hard work for this. Goodness knows he certainly does it for discotech. <laughs> Just to name three members of the staff that stood out to me in terms of their credits. On storyboards, we have Goro Taneguchi, famous for directing Code Geass, but also directed other acclaimed works like Maria the Virgin Witch, Infinite Rivius, Gunsword, and one of my favorite anime of the 2000s, he directed Planetus. Sayo Yamamoto of Michiko and Hachin, The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, and Yuri on Ice fame has several animation credits on here, including storyboard, episode director, and unit director for the ending sequence, and Fumihiko Takayama, who directed the Vision episode of Bubblegum Crisis, along with work on Orgus 02, Gundam 0080, and did scripts for Alice and Zoroku, Sweet Blue Flowers, Sword of the Stranger, Gun Parade March, and... Uh, Manyu Ikencho. It's a who's who of great animators and talented storyboarders on this show. The character designs were done by Bones veteran Yoshiyuki Ito, who did... Who did character designs for Fullmetal Alchemist, Star Driver, and Concrete Revolutio, among others. And Jordan, you mentioned the alien designs. I gotta give mm -hmm. it to Bones here. No design is repeated twice. There are thousands upon thousands of designs for this show. And that's because they had a whole team to design the aliens. Jeez, that that is crazy, and like it, it really does show. Not only are these aliens just vastly diverse, but they also are just really cool and memorable designs for the most part. And not just designs for the aliens as well, but also just you know ship designs and you know uh, robot designs as well as designs of all the various uh, planets and locations that they go to. It's funny you mentioned robot design because the mecha and ship design, the chief designer for this was the man behind Oban Star Racers, Thomas Romain, did ship design and mecha design for this. But guest mecha designers, for all you Trigger fans, Hiroyuki Imaishi did mecha design. I believe he designed uh, the mecha for the Aloha Oe, the robot form. But one name that stands out in the credits... The man who designed the ALE, that's the ship used by the Alliance, Kunio Okawara did mecha design for this show. Mr. Gundam himself. I had a feeling, but I wasn't exactly sure. <laughs> if you've never seen the ALE mecha, it looks like a hybrid between the Gun Cannon, the Edeon, and a Brave Series robot. Yeah, I, I'd say that's a good that's a good uh, comparison. If you take nothing away from Space Dandy, at least admit it's a dazzling show from a visual standpoint. You will not watch Space Dandy and say I can't stand the look of this show because it is so pretty. Lot of bright, flashy, psychedelic colors, but it's not afraid to get dark every now and then in terms of its color palette, like. There's one episode that's done entirely in grayscale. Yeah, I, <laughs> that, that's that's actually one of the more memorable episodes, I think. <laughs> I didn't like that episode, but I did like the ones that were done by Masaki Yuasa. And you can tell that they were done by him. I recognize oh. Yuasa's fluent, over-exaggerated squash and stretch style any day of the week. Yeah, definitely. The, yeah, like... 
you see it and you just it immediately clicks even if you have just a passing familiarity with his work i feel of all the anime that have come out in the 2010s space dandy is the one that was the most experimental and you don't see enough experimental animation in anime these days it almost felt like i would say I wouldn't say compared to like Animatrix. I think it's more like if you want to use a, a an OVA example, it kind of feels a little more like uh, the original Bubblegum Crisis, where every single episode was done by pretty much a different uh, a director and staff and had different visions for what they wanted to do. That's true, but Bubblegum Crisis is visually consistent from episode to episode, save for the last one, but that episode doesn't exist in my eyes. <laughs> Space Dandy's visual style, though, does change depending on who's in charge of the episode. Which, you know, if you're anal about consistency with its animation, that's either a good or a bad thing. I mean, as long as it doesn't take a severe downgrade from one episode to the next, I I honestly don't have an issue. Amen to that. One little observation before we go on regarding the character animation and how over-exaggerated things are. The way Dandy himself is animated... I got loop on flashbacks because the way his face contorts, the expressions he gives, it's very loop on. Specifically, more modern loop on. Definitely, I I can see a lot more. You say modern, like parts uh, four on, and say I guess everything from like say episode zero on. I guess is probably the best way to describe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how I describe it. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I also love the uh, design for QT as well. A a nice little yellow uh, egg-shaped vacuum robot. I I like that a lot also. You'd never guess that he was supposed to be a vacuum cleaner. Do we have anything else to say about the animation? Uh, I think we mostly covered it. I mean, I, I just love how expressive the animation is just it it really is unlike anything else when it comes to capturing emotion i think the only closest thing i could compare it to would be one piece with how ridiculous these uh characters look at times well I, one piece is in a league of its own quite frankly yeah but it, it was it was nice to see an anime kind of still touch on that level of uh, expressionness i'll give you that <laughs> I will always prefer cell animation to digital, but one advantage digital has, especially nowadays, is it's a lot more fluid and dynamic. Definitely. I mean, I mean, the transition was was rough, no two ways, but I'm but I was always at least optimistic that once there were talented enough people that could take advantage of what digital animation could do, that it was going to go that it was going to start taking off. I honestly think that you would not be able to capture some of these set pieces and just action sequences with traditional cell shading animation without it taking 12 years, maybe. It would be more detailed, but you would not get this level of craziness from a cell animated production. Although I will say as well, you know... I liked I liked all the da- I liked all the dancing uh, uh, that went on especially in the second half of the series. On that note, I think that's a good transition over to the soundtrack. And the music was not done by one person. It was done by several people. Once again, go to the Anime News Network page and see who did the music. There's a lot of people I mean, it's not like they got multiple composers, but they got actual bands to make music for the soundtrack. I believe the man overseeing the soundtrack, though, is Taku Takahashi, rapper for M-Flow, also produced the music for Panty and Stocking. Okay, that tracks. I, mm-hmm. I, can, I, I can hear a bit of a through line there. They also brought on jazz band Mountain Mocha Kilimanjaro, uh, the music group Clambon, they did the music for the Monogatari series, Flip Flappers, and Wonder Egg Priority. You have the acapella group Dolkaka, uh, that you probably heard them in We Love Katamari from the Katamari Damashi games. Rock band Zen La Rock. A funk band with the greatest name ever, Ogre You Asshole. 
<laughs> Speaking of Watanabe collaborators, you also have Taro Umebayashi, who would go on to contribute songs for Yuri on Ice and Carolyn Tuesday. And of course, it isn't a Shinichiro Watanabe series without Yoko Kano. There's the final piece. <laughs> mm -hmm. The soundtrack is incredibly diverse. There's a lot of music, and while a few tracks are repeated, I did notice it, and it kind of slaps. Oh, definitely. Uh, the one thing that I will say that's kind of a, a bit of a disappointment with how uh, I went and rewatched the series, I got the uh, the digital re-release uh, for this on, on Voodoo. The digital release on Voodoo, which was the complete series, it unfortunately doesn't have the uh, uh, the proper uh, OP for the song. It instead has that little 30-second uh, thing that they made for Toonami that they aired uh, in the uh, first few episodes. Are you kidding me? I wish I wasn't. <laughs> well, thankfully for me, I got the physical discs. So yeah, I got the proper OP for it on blu-ray i'll have to i'll have to see if i can still snag that at a decent price i mean the one upside to that is that i only paid 10 bucks for the whole series on voodoo so take with one give with the other i guess speaking of openings i just want to say i think that viva namida might be my favorite anime opening of the 2010s i will definitely say is a standout opening and it's a shame that it's been slept on I, no, I, I agree 100%. That's why I was so disappointed, especially once I got into the second half that I still had the 30-second intro. I was like, man, that why do I get this? I mean, the OP slaps. Why don't I get it here? I like a lot of openings from the 2010s, but my problem is that a lot of them just kind of tend to run together at points. But Space Dandies manages to stand out, and I don't know what it is about it that makes me like it more than others from that decade. I mean, in a in a swamp of absolute generic weeb crap, you have discotech funk. I think that's why it sticks out. That that probably helps a lot. No two ways about it. <laughs> it just does not sound like anything that came out in that year, and it really doesn't sound like a lot of things that would come out even to this day. It's a great opening. It may not be the opening for Bastard, but it'll do. Oh my god, I could gush about that opening for days. So on to voice acting, and I'm only going to focus on the core cast here. There's only six major characters I have to talk about. And our dandy hero, Dandy, is voiced by Junichi Suabe, who, last time we saw him on this show, he was Takeya Kurisu in Amagi Brilliant Park. You also might have heard him as Archer in Fate Stay Night. Greed in the 2003 version of Fullmetal Alchemist, and for the Fujoshis, he's Victor in Yuri on Ice. Meow is played by Hiroyuki Yoshino. He is Present Mike in My Hero Academia, Alleluia Haptism in Gundam 00, Yasumoto Arakita in Yoamushi Pedal, Brief in Panty and Stocking, and you can currently hear him as Frankie in Spy Family. Mm. Fantastic. <laughs> QT is voiced by Uki Satake. Her only notable roles are Shiori Kaidai in Beatless, Tsubomi in Mob Psycho 100, and she is set to be the voice of Kirie Goshima in the anime adaptation of Uzumaki, whenever that comes out. Yeah, I still haven't heard many updates, but, mm -hmm. you know, ho hopefully sooner rather than later. Honey is voiced by singer Yurin. Her only notable roles are Akane Yamana in Inazuma 11 Go and Nana Yamamoto in We Were There. More notable is Hoko Kuashima as Scarlet, and this is fitting she's in a space show because she is Yuki Mori in Yamato 2199, Flay Ulster and Natarle Badgirel, I hope I said that right, in Gundam Seed, Wendy in Gunsword, and for non-sci-fi shows, we heard her as Claire in Claymore, Tomeo Sakagami in Clanad, Kagura in Azumangadayo, and Sango in Inuyasha. Some good, some good uh, roles there. Dr. Gel is played by the late, great Unsho Ishizuka. 
a regular for Shinichiro Watanabe or Watanabe-adjacent shows, as he's Jet Black in Cowboy Bebop, Gold Bowman in Macross Plus, Quent in Wolf's Reign, the longtime voice of Professor Oak in Pokemon, Hohenheim in Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood, and OH MY GOD! He's Joseph Joestar in Stardust Crusaders. <laughs> oh, man. And lastly, Kosuke Hatakeyama plays B, whose only noteworthy roles are Ginkaku in The Eccentric Family and Shuichi Nitori in Wandering Sun. Now, what'd you guys think of the dub? I, I think that the dub is uh, top right, quite honestly. <laughs> Yeah, it's a god-tier dub. This is one of the main reasons why I suggest people watch anime dubbed over sub in a lot of instances. Because it just makes the Japanese dub just doesn't and even hold a candle. I always judge how good a dub is based on acting and script. And I'd say both are top-notch. Of course, the show-stealer here is Dandy himself, Ian Sinclair, who is one of those actors I say is never not good. I agreed 100%. Mm -hmm. Well, he wasn't good as Takaru in Key, but uh, that one wasn't his fault. Yeah, well, but even even so, like, he is absolutely in his element here in space, Dandy. He is just relishing the role, and you could just tell that he's just having, just being this uh, joker in space, basically. Whenever I hear somebody put on a performance like Ian Sinclair is, I'll always say that they're having the time of their life. Definitely. Definitely. 100%. That's, of course, not to put down the rest of the cast, though, as Joel McDonald was the perfect casting choice for Meow. <laughs> kind of, uh, I guess you would call him the butt monkey of the of the crew, but Joel absolutely hits that one well. Well, Joel is notorious for playing butt monkeys in an English dub. I'm looking at a certain sparkling hero from MHA, for instance. I'm looking at a certain harem king from Sekirei. <laughs> What? I like that show. Don't judge. <laughs> hey, no judgment here. <laughs> oh, no, not none at all. Not at all. And routing out our cast, we have an actress who she's one of those actresses who's been around, but I don't think ever gets her due. I'm, of course, talking about Allison Victorin as QT. Uh, agreed. I, I always thought that she was a uh, she was a, a very good uh, voice actress, probably best uh, remembered. Uh, when she played uh, Conan in uh, in the Case Closed dub for Funimation, when they still had the rights to that, she she was actually really good in that role. When you need somebody to play a little kid, a bratty girl, or something that just has a naturally cute and squeaky voice, Allison Victorin's your go-to. If I have any complaints, it's not her performance. I don't like the auto-tune filter they put over her voice. The Japanese side did not have that. I get why they put the filter in, but that, that's more of, I think, a, uh, a personal thing, it looks like. You may like it, you may not. It only gets annoying whenever she has to scream. I actually think that's kind of when it works to its advantage, but I would prefer to hear her without it. Of course, that's to say nothing about some of the guest actors, as you have a lot of Funimation regulars in this dub. Tyson Reinhardt plays... Well, I don't want to tell you the character that Tyson Reinhardt plays, but when you see it, you're like, oh god, they did not. Also, there's a character in here by the name of Johnny, and who did they get to voice him? Why none other than Johnny Young Bosch? That that might have been one of my favorite episodes of the entire series. <laughs> oh, I, I, that it's not one of my favorites, but that was a lot of fun. They got Bryce Pappenbrook on for one episode... And that was still before he was, like, everywhere, so <laughs> good foresight. Actually, this was right around the time of Attack on Titan. Right, but but also, mm. yeah, like, I meant to say, you know, kind of in that area where he was just starting to take off. I love J. Michael Tatum as Dr. Gel. That's a casting decision that I didn't think would work, given who's on the Japanese side, but it does. Tatum is another one of those guys I feel like that he's... It's like what you said about Ian Sinclair. He's never not good in in role in whatever role you put him in. 
Kyle Hayberg also came on for an episode. Always fun to hear him uh, come in. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of who's who from Funimation. Unfortunately, though, we also have to deal with he who must not be named. Uh, oh boy. As soon as I saw him in there and that he was playing a gentleman, I thought, geez, that hits a little too close to home. No kidding. Especially his interactions with Honey. Less said the better. <laughs> but if I had to point out an MVP for this dub, it's gotta be the narrator, R. Bruce Elliott. I've been a fan of his uh, voice work for years. <laughs> Again, like Ian Sinclair, R. Bruce Elliott is having the time of his life. And because he doesn't have to match any lip flaps, he can just freestyle as much as he wants. One of my favorite lines from him in this dub being, In space, nobody can hear that you don't have a pulse. It's very much kind of like how he was, how uh, he worked as narrator on Sergeant Frog. Very much the same kind of just, just freewheeling. It feels like whenever, whenever he has to narrate stuff. Also, one thing I liked about the DVDs is that they let you watch the dub with the subtitles turned on, which you don't really get from most Funimation or Sentai DVDs nowadays. And I was shocked at just how close they stayed to the original script. Outside of a few ad-libs, they mostly kept the spirit of the original intact, which I appreciated a lot. The only change that I did not like was how they changed it from he's a dandy in space to he's a dandy guy in space. I don't really think it's too much of a big deal, though. Yeah, it's... Change that. Yeah, that's a that's another uh, personal thing right there, I think. Well, you see, I've heard the word dandy used as a noun. That's if, true. If you watch a lot of Canadian television, specifically the Mackenzie Brothers and for more recent fare, Letterkenny, the Canadians use the word dandy as a noun a lot. In fact, I know this for a fact, and I'm about to pull out my inner hockey nerd on you, but... Devils color commentator Chico Resch, whenever the Devils would get a big goal, he always says, Oh boy, what a dandy. You know, you bring that up. I think that uh, Craig McLaughlin, who's uh, the color guy for the Capitals down uh, down here, does this, works that into his vernacular too. <laughs> if you want to use a British version, and I'm going to nerd out on you even further, in the classic Doctor Who episode, The Three Doctors, when the first Doctor, William Hartnell, makes his cameo, he describes his successors, the second and third doctor, as being a dandy and a clown. Huh. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I just used that one nitpick to nerd out on you guys. Because who are you to doubt space dandy? Gotcha. Hey, what better place to do it? <laughs> God, I love pulling out random trivia like that on a regular basis. So, we're ready for prime time now, and... I have a lot to say about Space Dandy, but before we get into what we liked about this show, the main thesis that I had in mind for this episode, Space Dandy had everything going for it. It was directed by Shinichiro Watanabe, it had a lot of talented directors, writers, storyboarders, and all sorts of animators to make all sorts of incredible animation cuts. It had the promotion from Funimation. It was placed in primetime on Toonami on Saturday nights. It was one of the first shows to get the simuldub treatment. So with all that, I have to ask you two guys, why wasn't Space Dandy bigger than it was? Well, if I could cast out my opinion on this one. Frankly, it just got... Buried under much better anime that came out within the same time frame. If you wanted action-adventure, you'd watch Noragami. If you wanted comedy, you'd watch Nisekoi. Not to mention, Kill a Kill was airing at the same time. Log Horizon, Kuroko No Basket, and Hunter Hunter. This is just... It was a really poor release time. I mean, I'm taking a look right here at what the, uh, at what the lineup was. Uh, it's exactly what you said. Yeah, Space Dandy got, got was the lead-in show for Toonami, uh, January 4th, 2014, at 11.30. So it was even going in ahead of Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece on the Toonami block at that time. So it was 
it was given the best chance, I think, of all things, and it was and it stayed as the lead-in show through the entire run of its first run. And I'll say that I think maybe the first run was actually fairly successful, but I think it was it was the second the second set that got a little more buried because by that point Attack on Titan had come in and had basically you know it basically grabbed that spot and then just would not let go and uh, of it yeah that's just the problem it was just well animated as it was and the sheer amount of talent they had for it in my opinion was just incredibly average despite well, having everything going for it well here's something that i'm i'm gonna bring uh, to the table something i kind of rolled around in my head and I'm thinking back to Cowboy Bebop on this because it's very. There's at least a little bit of Cowboy Bebop's uh, DNA in this series, basically in that you know Bebop was very much a um, an episodic series for the most part, but it also had those handful of story based episodes that kind of you know kept the intrigue up. You didn't have that with Space Dandy. And yeah, every single episode had its own feel, its own personality. But I also think that may have been a double-edged sword. With it being as you know loose as it was, there wasn't really anything for maybe viewers to latch onto as strongly as other series of its ilk. Precisely. It's just, it was the jack-of-all-trades situation. It was good at a lot, but it didn't excel in either of the categories. And I think you guys both hit on a good point, because the main reason why I say Space Dandy didn't become the mega hit that it is, and the reason why it isn't as well-remembered as some other stuff that came out that year, and I'm not counting, like, second seasons or things like that, or concurrently airing shows from around the time, is because of unfair expectations. The moment that Shinichiro Watanabe's name was attached to this project, and the moment it was revealed that it was going to be a sci-fi show, everybody was thinking, oh, it's going to be another Cowboy Bebop. And that's kind of how the show was marketed. Like, Cowboy Bebop is plastered over the show's marketing material, from the man who brought you Cowboy Bebop, from the team that brought you Cowboy Bebop. And the more you associate something with another thing, the more people expect new thing to be like old thing. Case in point, if you're a fan of YouTubers like Crow B. Cat, look at what happened with Back for Blood, and how it boasted that it was from the creators of Left for Dead. And it turned out to be nothing like Left for Dead. In fact, it was pretty much great value Left for Dead. I would probably say it was Kirkland brand Left for Dead, but that's neither here or there. Left for Dead at home. <laughs> pretty hey, much. Hey, to be fair, Kirkland Brands does have some decent stuff here. So I would say Kirkland Brand is at least a step above great value brand. Oh, definitely, and to segue off that, there are some really good standout episodes in this show. There's also ones that are just completely shitty and a pain to watch because they're incredibly boring. There are definitely a few slower episodes that were a bit of a chore to get through, and, you know, and maybe it's also because, you know, my sleep schedule has been all out of whack the last couple of weeks uh, because of my job. Some of those episodes, like... I was struggling to stay awake uh, through some of them, but but at the same time, there were also some honestly really good episodes. Yeah, exactly. There's some there was good things in there. It's just I could honestly understand if someone was to watch Space Dandy and then watch something like Noragami, they're gonna side more towards Noragami because it's much more consistent. And the thing is, it's not totally impenetrable. We're not talking about something like Fate or the Monogatari series or, oh, I'm going to get killed for this one, the works of Kunihiko Ikuhara. Space Dandy is a perfectly enjoyable sci-fi comedy. I feel a lot of people, once they started watching it and they didn't get what they were hoping for, which was a show just like Cowboy Bebop, and it kind of has something in common with Bebop, but once they said that, you know, things aren't really changing or moving at a rate we had hoped, everybody just tuned out. And I like to think that up until recently, comedy anime doesn't have the same sort of staying power as shonen or action anime do. 
I mean, you're uh, not. I I don't necessarily disagree. Just because comedies, in general, I think only have so much of a shelf life, and it's only the really great ones uh, that persist beyond, like, say, the moment it was made. And I mean, I'm thinking. Of, I'm trying to think on my head. You know, what's probably been one of the most successful. Uh, anime comedies of the last few years the only one that's coming to my head is ma- something like Konosuba I would also add Don't Toy With Me Miss Nagatoro and My Dress Up Darling I-, I could get I could get behind those as well Spy Family is actually incredibly humorous too yeah but that's more of an action comedy yeah yeah definitely that's a, that's not necessarily a devoted comedy like some of the other ones and like even Lupin like like you know parts 5 and 6 Sure, it has its funny moments, but it's definitely it feels like it's it's gone a lot more serious in uh, in uh, modern era. Space Dandy, meanwhile, to me, very much sticks to its guns when it comes to comedy. Some episodes are a little more serious than others, but you're always going to get a chuckle out of each episode. I can agree with that. But yeah, you mentioned how the gap between seasons sort of killed it. It pretty much just fell off the map as soon as it finished airing. And I did see some Space Dandy cosplay at the conventions I went to, but it's not like people were having Space Dandy photo shoots or the like. Mm-hmm. No, de- definitely not. Like, And and it's not as though... The, like, I definitely saw a few dandies for a few years, but yeah, last few years, I, I think I've seen like next to nothing. Like maybe one or two at a con the size of Otacon, but that's been about it. I mean, in a day or in an era where a lot of animes were appealing to, you know, the more normie crowd, Space Dandy just, it couldn't do it. And even to go, like, with the hardcore crowd, they were it was mismarketed, so it just lost on both fronts. Let me just give you an example as to how it was also subjected to seasonal churn or FOMO. One joke that I've sort of been making to myself in preparation for this episode. You guys remember Yuri on Ice? Whatever happened to that show? Oh, that's a great comparison. <laughs> I mean, left more of an impact than Space Dandy, but yeah. But even then, how long has it been since, like, that thing premiered before the 2018 Winter Olympics? You've gone through two separate Olympiads post uh, Yuri on Ice, and that, and you announced that movie... Like, what, weeks after the conclusion of the first series? Well, that, and also, I remember everybody was hailing it as one of the best anime of 2016, and while it wasn't one of my favorites, I do get all the hype and praise behind it. It was a whole year where I saw people dressed as Victor, Yuri, other Yuri, and some of the other characters, even though Yuri on Ice's supporting cast is incredibly underwritten. But a year and a half later, poof! It was gone. Like, you oh, yeah. rarely see any Yuri on Ice cosplay anymore. I mean, I still got friends that uh, that bring it up every so often on Twitter, but no, you're 100% right. And again, like I said, like, that movie was announced, like, so soon after the first season, and there's been no movement on it pretty much since. Now, granted, certain factors may have played may have played a role in that, but at the same time, it's just disappointing. I feel like that if any if something came for it now, it wouldn't have the same you know wow factor that it that it did when it when it came out. Another example, you know, look at Tiger and Bunny season two. Even if it wasn't on Netflix, would people really care? No, I. You know what? I don't think so. I think that one really missed the boat. Yeah, that that was unfortunate. And for and for that, I think it missed the boat completely because, well, you just look over to the other side. There's that uh, there's that kid with green hair over there, just uh, just uh, smashing through things now. Like like that was a case where it just got supplanted in its own genre, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And honestly, compared with unfair expectations, coupled with bad timing misguided marketing and all that stuff. It's a shame that Space Dandy was forgotten so quickly because if I'm going to be 100% honest, Space Dandy is awesome! I absolutely love Space Dandy. Oh, I I really enjoyed it the first time around, and while it took me a while to... uh, 
reconnect with it when I was rewatching it. No, it's it's still as good as I remember. Especially a lot of the episodes in the second season really hit very well. My only issue with Space Dandy is I feel as though it's something I should have really enjoyed. I just came out of it thinking it was just an average show. Why did you think it was average? The very essence of the episodic format really grated on my nerves. Because it essentially kind of lends the feeling of, hey, nothing that happens in the show actually matters. To me, I see that as one of the strengths of the show, believe it or not. Because you have to understand, Space Dandy is not some big sci-fi epic like Star Trek or Space Battleship Yamato. Space Dandy is a comedy, but more importantly, it's an anthology show. Space Dandy is not one long, unbroken story. It's a series of stories with these characters in various situations. And in that regard, that's where the Cowboy Bebop comparison comes in. Because Cowboy Bebop was also a small-scale sci-fi series where the episodes are just a bunch of stories involving our core cast of Spike, Bay, Jet Black, and Ed, and each episode differs in tone, but those episodes have threads that connect the characters from one point to the next, even if you can watch them out of order and you'll be fine. Space Dandy is very standalone in nature. The comparison I bring up, if you ever watched a sh a an American cartoon like Ren and Stimpy or Spongebob, there are episodes where the characters just plain old up and die, and yet they're fine for the next episode. That's kind of how I view Space Dandy. It's more of an American cartoon with really good animation. I mean, no, I mean, it's not much of a spoiler to say you could you could say that the first episode ends the same way uh, playing a game of Don't Whiz on the Electric Fence ends. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, I think the first episode is what turned a lot of people off. Because the first episode, to me, is one of the weakest episodes. I, I think there are some weaker episodes, but I can absolutely uh, understand someone not connecting with it. Especially just especially coming in on that second episode. Like, I, like I'll admit that I kind of like the audacity of it just smashing into the second episode, just like nothing happened. But I can completely understand someone looking at that and going, what the hell? Yeah, it's these. if you're going to do a heavily episodic series like that, you have to make sure each standalone episode is good. And one of the issues with Space Dandy is the first seven episodes just are not good. They're painfully average and mediocre to get through. I wouldn't say they're not good. I honestly enjoyed them my second time around, but I will agree that the first half is the weaker half of Space Dandy. All the truly great episodes are in the second half. I agree 100% with that. Yeah, and that's the thing. If you don't capture your audience within 12 episodes, that's a problem. I brought it up earlier. The show that replaced this in the lineup on Toonami when the first run of episodes was done was Attack on Titan. So you just think of comparing both of those shows. And yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, and then, of course, you know, second season, we get, uh, we get some uh, great moments, like uh, one that jumped out at me when I, uh, when I saw it was an episode paying... Effectively, that paid a little tribute to Mitsuharu Misawa. Oh my god, I forgot. Yeah, this show is full of references. And one of the aliens is Mitsuharu Misawa. And it's not like he has blue skin like a gamelan from Star Blazers. Nor does he have like any other alien features. It's just Mitsuharu Misawa. Pants, elbow, and all. And even better for it, uh, Honey winds up performing the Emerald Flosion at the end of that episode. Oh, that is <laughs> so great. Great. Unfortunately, that's the episode with you-know-who in it. Sadly, but at least that... Mm -hmm. But it, but yeah, I can take the good with the bad with that one. 
Also, I want to say that this show has a better zombie episode than the entirety of High School of the Dead. I mean, hey, whoa, I'm a huge fan of that show. Stay nice there, buddy. <laughs> I, that that was, though, a, a very well done zombie episode. <laughs> oh my god, it, it subverted my expectations and then some. Some episodes are laugh-out-loud funny, but then you get serious ones like the ones with the interdimensional ramen. Yeah, that, that was like, what, the second or third episode? Yeah, that's the second episode. Yeah, see, 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 there, I think there's where, where that comes in right there. You went from kind of a madcap first episode to something that was relatively serious in the second episode. And that was just, I couldn't really, like enjoy the more emotional or somber somber episodes because there was just no reason for me to care because it doesn't matter in the end there was no thread or reason why i should be like oh hey it's kind of sad it's like oh no it's gonna happen it's gonna skip to the next episode where they're doing whatever although i will say uh i did have a nice appreciation in uh in the first half of the series that uh well, let's say we got a little bit of a uh, of an Easter egg in uh, one of those episodes when they were on a junk planet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's a Cowboy Bebop reference in there. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. the currency of this world is Wulongs, but I won't spoil what that reference is. There's also references to Space Runaway Ideon. The whole Space Race episode is an homage to Wacky Racers. There's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of 80s movies references in one episode. And they even make reference to Japanese gravure model Agnes Lum and have an actual Agnes Lum photo book featured. Again, the second half, that's, again, a, a, another top episode because that one just goes completely off its gourd. Gile, shout out to Giles Poitras for letting me know that that Agnes Lum book does indeed exist. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and I think also what helps Space Dandy along in my eyes is just Dandy himself. Oh, yeah. I, he's such a force of personality. And, you know, we talk about how the characters don't develop, but when you have such a large cast of over-the-top characters, sometimes they just don't need it. And Dandy is such a force in and of himself that... He doesn't need to have, like, any sort of big character growth or deeper motivation. He's just a dandy in space. What more do you want? Pretty much every episode, uh, aside from one, is basically, okay, let's put Dandy in this uh, musical high school and uh, see how uh, that goes. Oh my god, uh, the high school musical episode is my favorite. <laughs> I uh, love that one. Oh, I hated that episode. I, I hate musicals. Screw you, man. <laughs> I was just oh. watching it. I was like, oh, God, let it end. Oh. He, his character, in terms of his personality, is very much taken from Space Adventure Cobra. I, I would say he's uh, Cobra uh, meets Johnny Bravo. <laughs> very much, although, having watched Space Adventure Cobra, Cobra pretty much is Johnny Bravo. Okay, I'll give you that much. <laughs> he, he's part Cobra, part Lupin the Third. Of course, there is a reason why Dandy is able to just come back fine from all these situations, but we don't want to spoil it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that yeah, that kind of gives away everything, and it's uh, it's an interesting theory. I kind of wish that there had been maybe maybe a little more of a through line that built up to it. Maybe it would have hit a little bit harder, but. Structurally, I actually I actually kind of dig uh, the idea behind it. The only real hint that you get is the end credit sequence. Like, if you read the lyrics to that ending theme song, it'll click with you. You just go, oh. Yeah, but my main problem with the ending was after I just finished it, I was just like, well, that felt like a waste of time. Of course, rounding out our trio, we've got QT and Meow, and I like both of them. We pretty much have your three stooges here. I made a three stooges comparison in the previous episode with Daily Lives of High School Boys, but Dandy is very much the curly of this trio. Meow being the Larry, who's the middleman between the comedic Dandy and the straight man, 
QT, who is very much the mo in this group. Uh, trying in vain to try to keep everything together. And I love the chemistry that they have. Oh, if there's one thing I won't take away from the show, it's its core cast, because they are absolutely fantastic. It feels nice to have a cast of not carbon cutout tropes. And you know, I'll even say this, uh, I actually do kind of dig Scarlet, especially in the second half of the series. Oh, they really beef her up in the second half. Definitely. Scarlet's a great counterweight to Dandy, as Dandy is this flashy, go-get-em, cocky, space booty hunter, and Scarlet's just having none of his stuff. Some of the funniest interactions Dandy has in the show are with Scarlet. And and uh, Colleen Clinkenbeard absolutely hits it out of the park with her. To say nothing of Hoko Kuishima on the Japanese side, either. Honey, sadly, though, is unfortunately underdeveloped. You get hints that there's more to her, but they never quite follow through. And that's unfortunate, because I, I think that there was a good character there with her. She comes off more uh, like uh, Mahoshi from the Tenchi OVAs uh, than anything in this series. That's a good comparison. Like, you remember Honey, you just wish they did more with her. But considering how much Space Dandy does with its world building, with its storytelling, I get the feeling that they just didn't have enough time for her. If this thing had maybe gone to another to another uh, set of episodes, maybe there would have been more development with her. But one last set of characters we have to talk about. I absolutely love Dr. Gel and B. They are the best non-villains ever. <laughs> I say that they're non-villains because the show subverts your expectations thinking that Dr. Gel's gonna go after Dandy every single time, and yet they barely interact with one another. Yeah, they don't they don't interact until like the very end of the series and, and a lot of the ways that they uh, that they avoid one another. <laughs> they border on the absurd at some point. <laughs> right. It's all, And in the reaction from Jell to Dandy, it's almost, you're getting kind of a uh, irresponsible Captain Tyler feel for that. Jell, this is a weird one with, of my many comparisons. Jell sort of reminds me of Dr. Robotnik from Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, that actually works incredibly yeah, well. That, that is pretty <laughs> accurate. In that Dr. Robotnik in that series is always doing some stupid stuff behind the scenes, only interacting with Sonic for a limited time, depending on the episode, before ultimately getting his comeuppance. Only in this time, there is no confrontation between Dandy and Dr. Gel. It's just, Dr. Gel appears, goes after Dandy, no conflict, just comeuppance. And it's always funny every time Dr. Gel goes out, because he goes out in style. <laughs> he really does. The poor man really embodies epic fail, the meme. I, and I, if there's one meme I would equate him with, it's the, ooh, you almost had him. You're going to have to be quicker than that. <laughs> oh, man, I haven't thought of that commercial in ages. <laughs> Now, Jordan, you've said the show was average, and I can see why, but I think, Dandy, once you accept what it is, that it's not some big sci-fi show, it's more or less just meant to be a bunch of very talented people having fun with a set of characters, you sort of start to appreciate its weirdness and wackiness, and... To me, Space Dandy was better the second time around. I think Dan Space Dandy is one of those shows that appreciates upon rewatch. I can agree with that. And especially, and again, I keep bringing it up, the second half, I definitely appreciated those episodes a lot more rewatching the series than, maybe than I did watching it initially all those all that time ago. My thing is, I accepted where the show was going about, like, around, let's say, like, five episodes, and I was like, okay, it's more episodic, but even then, it just really just did not resonate with me, personally. I don't think it's a bad anime, but it's definitely far from my cup of tea. Personally, I think Panty and Stocking does the whole episodic thing much better. I'm of the opposite opinion. I'm not a big Panty and Stocking fan, but Dandy, to me, 
was just right. It's just enough. It knows when to go all out, and it knows when to hold back. And one problem that I had with Panty and Stocking is that it just wouldn't shut up at certain points. It, 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 it was extremely extra every moment that it had. Dandy doesn't lay it on too thick, and that's why I appreciate it over Panty and Stocking. It, it allows maybe more of its more comedic moments to breathe. You know, like I said, at the end of the day, it's just a difference in style. It didn't, it didn't grab me, but I don't think it's bad. I would definitely not say it's the worst thing I ever watched. That's a special spot only Queen's Blade will ever be able to fill. Oh, lordy. <laughs> I can't say that I would recommend it or rewatch it either. Confession. I watched a good chunk of Queen's Blade. I watched the first two seasons in the OAVs. I don't hate Queen's Blade. Is it good? I wouldn't say it's good, but it's at least interesting with what it tried to do. I mean, it's great if you watch it one-handed. You you were holding that one back, weren't you, Jordan? Yes, I was. Oh, my God. What the hell is wrong with you? You didn't say I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh. But oh. I think part of the reason why you don't like it is the sort of the reason why I feel anime comedies don't stick as much as most action shows do. Because everybody can get in on action. Comedy is a harder sell to a casual anime fan. What may be funny to somebody isn't going to be funny to somebody else. Tim and I obviously enjoyed our time with Space Dandy, but I can see why you didn't like it. Like I said, it just wasn't my cup of tea. That's fine. That's fine. But all the factors that we mentioned, I think that even with everything, Space Dandy just got lost in the shuffle. And I look at some of the other stuff that came out that year, just a list I made. I mentioned Amagi Brilliant Park earlier. We reviewed that a few months ago. That was a really good show from 2014. This was also the year that gave us Ping Pong the Animation, No Game, mm-hmm. No Life, which doesn't really hold up, but I know a lot of people really like that show. Uh, Chika the Coffin Princess, little underrated gem there. Witchcraft Works, which why the hell does this not have a physical release yet? We got Parasite that year. We got Noragami. We got JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stardust Crusaders that year. Jordan, we got your favorite, mm-hmm. Your Lion April that year. That was, that was a good one, man. We also got my favorite, Tokyo Ghoul. And uh, we also got things like Akame Got Kill and... Uh, mm, don't Al- get me started. Ald Noah Zero. Why would you say that name? (laughs) (sighs) Your time will come. Why couldn't Space Dandy get more recognition than Ald Noah Zero? God damn it. Because who cannot resist Baby's first mecha show? Mom, can we have Gundam? We have Gundam at home. Oh, boy. (sighs) But I think on that note, I feel even with some of its shortcomings, what little there are, not everybody's going to like this show. And it's not something that I would show to someone who isn't a fan, because it's maybe a little too out there for them. It's not impenetrable, but I feel the barrier of access to somebody who's been weaned on shows like Demon Slayer and Jujutsu Kaisen may not bite at right away. I can agree with that. And again, I think that they, when they premiered this, they were very clear. They knew exactly what audience that they were going for. They were going for the same audience that made Cowboy Bebop uh, and other sci-fi shows that were the bread and butter of Toonami, even the original block, what made the block uh, what it was. So it was going for those uh, folks. And, well... And again, maybe a a middling first season coupled with, of course, the anime, whatever else you think of it, that changed the game 
in the 2010s taking its time slot when it was over. I mean, just a, just a combination of just not landing the way that they wanted, unfortunately. I still think that it's a very well done series, and I think that if you're willing to at least give it a shot, definitely watch it. Absolutely. Jordan, I know you're in the minority here on a mm -hmm. two-to-one thing, but if you can accept what Space Dandy is, if you're okay with the weirdness, if you're okay with its anthology presentation, if you're okay with the fact that its only goal is to just tell all of these wacky sorts of stories, by all means, check out Space Dandy. If you didn't like it the first time around, Give it another chance. You'll at least learn to appreciate it. All right. Fair enough. Tim, your final thoughts? It is a little bit disappointing that this series was not as successful as it was, but I'm still glad that I have, I, that I live in this time where we at least had this series. If nothing else, I feel like that shows like this still don't get made all that often anymore. And honestly, I would still like to see them take another swing maybe not with say this exactly but another series like this you know maybe a big production with a bunch of uh, veterans and up-and-comers to try and uh, you know tell all these different kinds of stories with just some normal guys indeed and the ending i can only say is a show that only this show could pull off yeah absolutely mm-hmm if you are curious about this show, it is all available on Crunchyroll, and believe it or not, I actually saw that it was streaming on Tubi, of all places. What the hell? Tubi's got some surprisingly decent stuff on uh, on that for free. Like, I think it's got a handful of, uh, a handful of Lupin movies, it's got those uh, Digimon Try movies that were released a few mm. years ago. You know, a lot of random stuff that you would find, that you would find on there. Give it a look through. You'd be surprised what what finds its way onto that onto that service. Hey, they got MXC on Tubi, and that's good enough for me. There you go. I mean, I'm actually surprised the Blu-ray for uh, Space Dandy is actually very accessible. I think the whole se series goes for thirty-one bucks. Oh, it is. It, it, you can get it super cheap. So yeah, yeah. that yeah that might be another thing I gotta get. Uh, once I'm done purchasing all my other uh, discotheque purchases. <laughs> so if you missed out on it the first time or didn't really appreciate it, give it another shot. That's all we can really say about it. I would agree 100%. Indeed. So that's going to do it for this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a like, leave a review, follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, any place you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on social media at Otaku Nate Show on Twitter. Unfortunately, I am locked out of my Instagram, NateTendoWee. It was unfortunately hacked, and I gotta jump through a whole bunch of hoops to get it back, but I still got my Facebook account, so yeah, follow us at Otaku Nate Show on Facebook, too. Next episode, we go from a wacky comedy in space to a wacky comedy that involves spirits in 90s Japan in a show that nobody remembers, even though it got a physical release courtesy of Bandai Entertainment in the U.S., as we look at the 1990 cult series Haunted Junction. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. This is Tim the Otaku Jack. And this is Jordan. And we're signing off and saying, Thank God for boobies! <laughs>